is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering four conversations from Season 3, Episode 8, our discussion of the Innovations in Care 2022 initiative. In this conversation, all five panel members explore how factors in healthcare systems and society at large shape the challenges in diagnosing and treating fatty liver disease today, and what the nature of these factors suggests for focusing educational efforts and moving treatment forward. The recent Innovations in Nafield Care webinar and upcoming hybrid conference in May constitute one of the major initiatives to shift the focus for fatty liver disease awareness and treatment beyond the hepatology community to a broader, more diverse set of medical specialties and patient advocacy organizations. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the discussion on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion groups. Louise Campbell. I agree with you all. It's also about liver health. We need to make livers more attractive in the context of if in doubt, rule it out. Because your liver is expensive to every other metabolic disease if you haven't looked at it. And I've heard the argument that NAFLD should be an endocrine disorder or a cardiology disorder and fat and NASH is the liver disorder of that. So maybe we need ownership in different areas. The reason I really think it's important now is we are in a pandemic. We have a really big rise in weight around the world. And I looked at some figures today that if we don't start to get this out there, and maybe there is the opportunity with people becoming aware of how badly the diet has changed through COVID. And the government here have launched a campaign for improving children's diet this month and they have a new app where you can scan the food and it will give you a healthier opportunity because it assesses the food as you purchase it in the shop but some of the figures that came with this are really alarming that one in four so 27.7 percent of children of reception school age are now overweight or obese and four in ten or 40.9 percent of by the time they're 11 are overweight and obese but in highlighting those 27 percent it was nearly six in ten parents are now feeding their children more fatty and sugary snacks than they did pre-pandemic and nearly two-thirds of or 64 percent of parents said they often worry about how healthy their children's snacks really are they buy them if they don't know how healthy those snacks really are and can't tell which is one of the reason that 90 percent of those parents said that they'll benefit from the app but also those parents are probably eating those snacks now we can wait for research to prove in 10 20 30 years that the pandemic blew out naffled and nash and wait for that or we can look at the programs that jeff and jean and people are trying to start to try and raise a awareness but it's hidden it's talking about improving children's diet it's hidden in a weight loss app it's hidden in improving weight for diabetes and they use the same mechanisms we do we just need to be now overtly using the same language charities for diabetes need to talk about fatty liver disease but they don't charities for cholesterol need to do that they don't we need to look at the language. We're avoiding the biggest disease. I know Jeff's keen on the SDGs. The elephant in the room on the plateauing in a lot of cardiovascular diabetes, the numbers rise, but the improvement in health means we treat more, but we're plateauing. The elephant in the room is probably the liver, and we still don't talk about it. But the figures coming out now with weight gain and alcohol increase, our liver has taken a pounding with COVID, let alone being involved in the outcomes of COVID. So uh, what you're trying 
to do and involve them has never been needed more. Jeffrey Lazarus. I sympathize, Louise, and, and although we've been saying we need to engage with you know, endocrinologists and even cardiologists and obesity specialists, in a way I wish the public health specialists for a little while had the upper hand and somehow engaged with the infectious disease specialists to say one of the other things you can do to help your COVID-19 outcomes would actually be to watch you know, your diet and to exercise more. I had this kind of dream, apparently, that maybe countries and governments would take that on. Maybe there would be TV and radio programs, um, certainly during the first year when, when things were so hopeless and there were no treatments or vaccines at all, and remind people that there was, here's another good reason to watch your weight, to exercise more, to take care of your body. But we failed miserably, as you just described, and things actually got worse in so many ways. And we'll see it soon um, in the epidemiology on liver disease, and particularly fatty liver disease. I think it's just going to be so much more worse. Stephen Harrison. Just just a point on that. Mike Charlton showed a pretty nice graphic at NASHTAG on the COVID pandemic, and it's linked to BMI in the United States. And this comes from the Morbidity Mortality Weekly Report that's published, showing a doubling, a doubling in the rate of increase in BMI since COVID. So, I mean, it's it's happening right before our eyes. And just to pick on what you were, you were talking about earlier with people now taking initiative themselves as patient, you described the lady on the plane. I've heard the conversation in the hairdressers. There is a scope of people who are aware of it and driving their own health. I saw somebody last week who'd taken themselves to have a, an ultrasound that showed an enlarged fatty liver who then decided to take on the next step, having discussed with the British Liver Trust, which was a fibre scan. Surprisingly, it didn't change any of what we'd seen at the ultrasound. It was a little bit stiff. It was quite fatty. But their first NHS appointment's July. So by now having that information at their fingertips, that should lead to an expediting of that appointment with a hepatologist. So people are taking control and we're seeing a lot more people now requesting them on waiting lists and we give the money back. If your waiting list from the NHS sees you earlier, then cancel your appointment you get it back. So people are now driving their own liver health, which is important. So there is a side and an element of really well-informed patients and proactive, but it's not enough to change the world in the way we want. And Jeff describes at the moment and Jean are trying to do, but I think there's small steps, as they say. I think that's right. But I also believe if you go back to the U.S. data, and this is a global phenomenon, not just a U.S. phenomenon, although we may have it worse than a lot of other places do, a bifurcation of the population into significant proportions that have simply decided not to believe in any of this. In the U.S., that number is probably about 30%. Don't believe in COVID, don't believe in vaccines, don't believe in doctors, don't believe in anything that they aren't told by someone on Facebook or whatever, by somebody who isn't on their side of the issue. Is the challenge going to be to work with people who want to hear the story, or is the challenge going to be to work with people who need to change what they're doing, even if they're the ones that don't want to hear the story? Or is it both? Like I said, we move at in parallel speeds and we need multi-pronged approaches. I mean, right now, for the people who do want to change their life and who are at high risk of fatty liver disease, we're not even doing enough. And there's such a high estimated prevalence, as Stephen said earlier, maybe 20 or 25 percent of the adult population. There's so much work to do. There's enough people to go around. So although there will be people who are resistant or reticent or, or disbelieving, they're at the end of the line. We have a, we're not even, like I said earlier, and we know, you know, reaching the um, obese population that's going to a GP, people with diagnosed diabetes. So there's so many populations to start with, Roger that I think we start with the so-called low-hanging fruit, people who want to hear about their health and how to improve it. When they hear 
that there's here's another good reason to take care of yourself. Some people will take care of themselves for their looks, and some people think it'll give them a longer life, and some people are worried about cardiovascular disease or are managing their diabetes. Well, now here's another reason. We start with that population and then move forward. The same way with COVID-19, we started vaccinating everyone who wanted to get vaccinated, but we told everyone in the world the importance of vaccination. Now we have the evidence that it works, and now we need to move towards those who, who are hesitant, knowing that you know, that hesitancy is is really a sort of a scale and there'll be a smaller population that's completely resistant and others who have different doubts that we'll need to address in different ways. That's great, Jeff. Let me turn that a little bit. We've got six or seven different kinds of people that listen to this podcast. And if I tick them off group by group, I wonder if there's advice for any of them you would have, you would have any of you would have that's specific to who they are and what they do as compared to the general stuff we're talking about right now. Okay, about 40% of this podcast listeners work in pharma or biotech companies. Of those split more or less evenly between people who are in a clinical function and a commercial function. Is there advice you'd have for those folks that would be different than what we've talked about so far in terms of what they should be doing, what they should be pushing their companies to do, their families to do, any of that? Jaren Schattenberg. That's not an easy one, Roger. I'm going to say something quickly, and, and Jeff has more time to think about a good answer on that one. It's the awareness issue with the medical field. If you aim to position a drug or a diagnostic test in the field, it's important that the physicians ordering the test perceive the benefit for their patients or that the patient is aware, tests is there so that they can order it or buy it for their benefits. Clearly, this is where we want to go. We want to implement the innovations that are there or the care of the patients and make the involved physicians aware. That's what it comes back down to. The colleagues in pharma are one stakeholder to propagate that awareness. And as Stephen said, I think once we have therapy, that will be much easier. Thanks, Jaren. And I would compare the situation a little bit to, to hepatitis C. We didn't have good therapies for a long time. And when we did, we started treating the so-called warehoused patients, everyone we knew who, who was diagnosed and needed treatment. And then we started having this diagnostic burnout with, you know, the vast majority of the estimated population of people living with hepatitis C undiagnosed and therefore untreated. We realized we don't know where they are. We're not finding them. We're not diagnosing them. We're not bringing them come into care. So awareness needed to be raised on, on a lot of different levels. So we're targeting policymakers about why this is important, why this, is, this makes sense from a cost perspective. And to the general population, it's different because it's an infectious disease. But in the case of fatty liver disease, there's such a high prevalence and such a strong interplay with other conditions that it's such an urgent matter that we need to be raising that. On the other hand, I'd throw back to the hepatologists among you. If we did have huge success and next year people said, wow, I'm really worried about fatty liver disease and started flooding primary care and you started getting all of these people sent to you based on Fib4 or even just sent directly because they, they weren't able to take care of primary care, you'd probably be overwhelmed. So we have to get the balance right in what I think is a moral duty to inform people about this condition. And at the same time, being able to make sure the health system can handle it, particularly during the COVID pandemic. Louise, Stephen, thoughts on that? I can give you a couple of more groups I'm interested in. It's been described, but I think there is inertia throughout the system. We've got an inertia with the healthcare system. We've got doctors who don't realise this is an important disease. We've got specialities that don't recognise it. So we then have patients who are similar, that this can't be an important disease. We've described it earlier. It's simple liver fat. You don't need to worry about it. And there's inertia in the whole system. We don't 
believe that this is a disease. So we are fighting on all fronts a mass of inertia. And how do we start to break that down? Now, industry and pharma can be very proactive here. If you start to target an education program to your primary care physicians, people are going to ask, well, why do they think it's important to teach me about this? There must be something behind it. It helps your diabetic population. It helps your obese population. It helps all of the populations that you see as a problem. Alcohol, viral disease. By targeting education about liver health and how it impacts your care and how it impacts how you care may start to change that inertia because unless we see how that can save the money in our pockets, yes, we can find more people, but we find them earlier to save more money in our pockets. And I think it's the right quality person that needs to be sent to a hepatologist. It's the right quality patient needs weight management and obesity care. We can separate that out with the non-invasive technologies that we've got now, but we need to break the inertia in each of the groups at the same time or to start one rolling that causes the inertia in the other groups to move. It is not an easy task, but pharma could play a massive role in that. And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. Next week, Surfing the Nash Tsunami will be back with Louise Campbell hosting a group of nurses and affiliated professionals talking about the practical challenges of fatty liver disease. I'll be back in two weeks with a discussion stemming from one of the major initiatives coming out of NASHTAG, the Nail NIT Initiative. Until then, stay safe, surf on, and we'll see you soon on the podcast. Bye-bye now.